flat out RC time. Welcome back to, I'm saying the world's greatest aero modeling podcast comes out every week. Not many aero modeling podcasts that come out weekly. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Australia, Melbourne, Australia. Lockdown Melbourne, Australia, once again, still stuck here and not enjoying it, to be honest. Uh, but look, we're going to enjoy ourselves with this podcast. We have a very special guest Tim Nolan, the new president of the MAAA. If you're listening abroad, the MAAA is our is our AMA if you're in the US. It's our uh, peak aero modeling association here in Australia. So it'll be good to find out more about Tim and uh, and um, you know hear about his vision for the MAAA. So stay tuned. Now before we get to that, don't forget to subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast whilst you're at it, and don't forget Flat Out RC YouTube, Instagram, Facebook all those things as well. So just click on that subscribe button, whatever platform you're listening this on, uh, listening this podcast on. Now, before we get to our special guest, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Frustration has been on my mind this week because we've got another another week of lockdown uh, here in, in uh, where I live in Melbourne. And uh, it looks like it's going to be extended as well, which means no more flying, looking at the forecast for the following week. Weather's not looking good anyway for a fly, so not too much to worry about. But we're coming into good flying season, so hopefully we can get back out there uh, you know, shortly. And uh, if you live up in New South Wales, we know what it's like down here in Victoria. And I bet you're hoping that you can get out to the flying field as well, but... There's still plenty we can do in aero modeling, even if we're not out at the flying field. And you're doing them, one of them now. You're listening to an aero modeling podcast. So what's been interesting is I'm going to talk about a new product uh, that's come out, Horizon Hobbies. Let me talk about that and let me talk about what's frustrating me at the moment around some of the models that are out. So Horizon Hobby, the biggest name in the hobby scene has uh, launched a new plane. It's another phone model. So that e-flight Draco has been very, very popular. And no doubt they're going to make more of them because the demand has been extraordinary, really. Uh, and I've got one, haven't been able to fly it yet. And it, it's a really good foamy. Like the quality of it is amazing. The The scale detail is the best that I've ever seen in a foamy plane. And the whole plane has this whole aura about it being Mike, Mike Patey's, you know, custom-built experimental uh, wilger. Wilger, Wilger, can't remember how to pronounce it. Anyway, but it's it's uh it's going to be good. And from all reports, it, it looks really good. Well, now they've got another large uh, Cessna foamy carbon Z Cessna one fifty T two point one meter wingspan. Now that two point one meter wingspan is pretty pretty hefty. Obviously, they're doing something right to be able to get a foam wing to work. You know, stiffen them up with carbon rods and. Obviously, they're using pretty pretty sturdy foam as well. The 150, uh, for those of you who don't know, is like the two-seater Cessna. Uh, they they were a lot of them were aerobatic. Um, you don't see many flying around. You see some. I've actually flown in one um, when I did work experience at an airport many many years ago, about thirty years ago, thirty more than that, more than thirty years ago. Uh, it seems like yesterday, uh, and. Um, so yeah, a lot of people learned how to fly in them and um, do some basic aerobatics in them as well. So they've got a, a, a foamy model, red, black, and white scheme. Uh, 
look, being a Horizon product, they're using all their latest technologies, all that smart technology. If you get the bind and fly versions, you get all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'll just skip past all that. I'm not a big fan of it because I think it just dulls down the the, the flying. And if you're going to uh, if you're going to go and buy such a model, you're not going to be a beginner. So um, yeah, so not a big fan of that. But uh, you get a 60 amp Spectrum Avian Smart ESC. They're really good. Um, uh, you get um, you know, you can use a six-channel spectrum receiver if you buy the buy and fly version. But some of the key features that I I, I noticed was um, versatile gear options. So it's set up with a, a um, what do they call it? Two main wheels and a tail wheel, tail dragger. Uh, it's COVID. It's it, I'm losing my mind. Uh, it, it's a tail dragger, but you can actually set it up with tricycle gear as well with a steerable nose wheel, which you do need to buy separately. Um, that can come in handy if you want to fly off snow. Uh, you can put those Dubro skis on it. You can um, buy a float kit as well for it if you want to fly off water. Personally, I like seeing Cessnas with the tricycle gear. Uh, they just don't look as good, I think, with the tail dragon configuration. I love a tail dragon. I, I, my, I prefer flying tail draggers, but the tricycle gear Cessnas always look pretty cool. And in this kit, I reckon the tricycle gear looks good, much better than the um, the tail dragger. It looks like a proper Cessna. Um Easy to assemble. It's, like, it's getting, just getting easier and easier. You grab the wings, plug them in, and off you go. I think it's got flaps. Yeah, it's got LED lights and flaps. They're really packing a lot into these foamies nowadays, especially these big ones. Um, now, battery setup. Let's have a look. Uh, let me have a look. Electric, 50-size motor. Electric, of course. 4 to 6S power. It's similar to the, um, the Draco. Um, doesn't say. Four to four, yeah, four to six S. Anyway, um, I'd probably run a six S, give it plenty of power, run a big battery in it, probably could handle it, um, and it should be okay. Um, I wonder whether you could probably set up the the motor reversing with because they've got these this new smart features in, in the ASC that you can uh, with your Spectrum radio and stuff like that. You can reverse the um, reverse the uh, yeah has got it seven channel compatible smart receiver and seven plus channel transmitter required for reversing so a bit of a gimmick really but you know adds a bit of fun um so yeah it, it looks it looks all right uh and of course being a horizon product it's gonna be good quality and it's probably gonna, gonna fly okay you know it's a cessna it's a big wing it's gonna fly okay but you can probably sense in my voice it's a bit like eh. it is a bit eh to me uh if you like cessnas and you want to buy a big foamy it's probably going to cost you 700 aussie dollars plus i reckon could be even more could be close to the 900 mark i haven't had a look at the pricing yet um it's an expense you know it's a piece of foam pretty expensive but this is sort of the second point i want to make i think that a lot of the hobby manufacturers are just becoming boring that we want to be excited, especially the people being in the hobby for a while. You know, we saw the Draco came out, come out, and everybody got excited about it. Well, there's the theory, people. Produce something that's a bit different, that's exciting, and we'll go and buy it. This testing looks all right. It's not exciting. It's another foamy. It just happens to have a big wingspan. Uh, you know, it's not that dissimilar to some of the other big wingspan stuff. But if you had to choose between this and the Draco, you buy the Draco because at least. It's got sprung undercarriage. It's a bit novel and, you know, that kind of thing. Stole characteristics. No doubt this has probably got good stole characteristics as well. But 
I think that I'd love to see the manufacturing, the hobby, just become a bit more adventurous and not just, you know, playing the safe card all the time. And like many of you heard about my love of super chipmunks, it keeps on, keeps on coming up. Why can't someone just build a decent super chipmunk? Yes, there's some um, good kits out there that you can go and buy, you know, and build them. But you're talking about ARFs and stuff like that. If you want to go and buy an extra, you can. You got heaps of different brands you could buy. But how about just something a bit out there that's a bit oddball, that's got a bit of character that we can sink our teeth into? We're not seeing that. It's just very, very slow. You know, you've got brands such as Seagull and Phoenix out of Vietnam doing some good scale stuff. Uh, you know, they're, they're probably the ones that are sort of challenging us a bit more than a lot of the other manufacturers. But uh, it'd be really good just to see, you know, some of the, 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 the big brands, the compaths of the world and the, uh, the extreme flights of the world, you know, coming up with something a bit different. I saw Pilot RC working on something, a scale project or something like that. Good. But we don't need any more popper cubs. Uh, we don't need any more extras and yaks and edges. We've got plenty of those. Give us something that's different, something that's going to excite us and want to spend some more money. Because remember, most of us have got a model in this category. We've got a high wing stole plane, a lot of us. You know, we've got a warbird, you know, a Mustang or something like that. Give us something that's just outside of that. Anything. So I love things like ultralights, paramotors, RC paramotors. If I was going to spend money, I spent a lot of money on an RC paramotor because it was just something different. It looked cool and it was got me got me excited. So come on, come on, hobby industry. I know you can do it. Just give us something that's a bit different. We don't need another Piper Cub. Give us something that's different that we can sink our teeth in, like the E-Flight Draco. Give us another one. Anyway. I hope that's motivated somebody to do something different. Enough of my yakking. Time to get into a good chat with our special guest, Tim Nolan. As I mentioned earlier, Tim is the new president of the MAAA down here in Australia, our peak body for aero modelling. And when uh, I knew that he was going to be sort of president because he's pretty much unopposed. He'd been, he's been involved for a while, vice president of the MAAA. Um, and he, he sent a member out, an email out to members and I thought, oh, let's get Tim on to have a chat, get to know who he is. And so managed to get him. And, uh, what you'll hear is he's a avid aero modeler, avid scratch builder, like amazing how much this guy loves building. Uh, he showed me, put his video on after the recording and showed me his shed. And I'll tell you what, there, everywhere you look, there's, some model that's being built or wood or you name it. So we've got a guy that really loves the hobby uh, running the show now in a kind of way. So it was a good chat, catch up with Tim, uh, learn a bit more about him and a bit about his vision for the NAAA here in Australia. And if you're listening from abroad, you, you'll you enjoy this chat. Uh, so over to my chat with the president, Tim Nolan. Well, he's just announced that he's finished the sanding and he can talk to me. Uh, Tim Nolan, a.k.a. the president of the MAAA. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Andrew, and it's nice to be here. Well, look, you've been on the bucket list for a while, you know, trying to get the, the head honcho of the MAAA, and, of course, we're going to get into that a bit later. But before we do, let's just share the Tim Nolan aero modelling story. Where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Uh, I, I grew up at, uh, 
in Coffs Harbour. My parents were both uh, pilots, uh, light aircraft. Mum went on to become an instructor. Um, and I probably started aeromodelling at about 15 or 16. I think the first aircraft I built was a radio control model. I didn't go into free flight. I started at radio. And it was a bar fly from an old RCM&E plan, which I found on um, outer zone oh, a year or so ago. I, I don't think I'll bother rebuilding it. There are plenty of other aircraft to build, but that's where it started. I'm interested to know, how did you find out about the hobby at the age of 15? Like, where did you see it? Um, next door neighbour, no. Yeah, he moved up close to his friend. Always had an interest in aviation and sort of tinkering and plastic models and all that sort of stuff. And RC aircraft just appealed to me because they were small. They weren't, they were, I could afford to do it. Um, they weren't super expensive. Balsa wood wasn't the price it is nowadays. Um, and a couple of fellows in town and dad knew them and, uh, and I managed to go out flying a couple of times. I think they were flying... Well, Graupner quick flights, 300s, they were low wing, 60cc sized models. Um, and I, I sort of did a bit of it there. I went to boarding school at Armidale, took the model up there, and it got progressively heavy as I taught myself to fly with more epoxy, as they all do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's interesting, like that learning experience, were you self taught or you, know, you, you had someone yep. else guiding you? No, self taught. Lots of epoxy. Oh, that's, it's, it's really interesting. Like when you think about nowadays, if anything, we've got a greater capacity now to teach ourselves how to fly thanks to simulators and foam aircraft and all that oh. sort of stuff. But to think about that, uh, the uh, break-fix cycle, you know, you must have got good at putting gluing wood back together again. Uh, you, you learn. And I actually moved fairly quickly from, started with a few powered aircraft, that one, and then wasn't until later on, uh, probably year 11, I guess, maybe. I actually built, or maybe even been a bit later, I started building gliders. Um, and they were 100, and, 100 inch, 120 inch, that's those size. And was flying those for a number of years. And then I uh, finished school and moved to Sydney. And bought a, a wandered into Hobby Co where they were in George Street in the city, in Sydney um, and uh, bought a glider and, and other bits and pieces there and that started me back into the gliding scene um, I hooked up with um, Phil Bird Peter Goldsmith um Morris Young, who had a hobby shop at Clarence Street in the city. Um, and a number of others. And we were flying at it at Macquarie University for a number of years and got involved there. We had Al Doig, who used to write a soaring column for um, the American magazine RCM. So he would come out and there'd be photos and stories and bits and pieces. And I actually found some old photos of a very scrawny teenager early you know early 20s peter goldsmith flying gliders up at uh, 
uh, up at Macquarie University, which I post occasionally just to remind people that we're all young once. Yeah, that's true. And so it was really gliding was a big part then early on? Well, it was what I could do. It was where I could get to. Then um, I was doing some of that. I was also out at uh, Warringah, uh, no, Sydney Radio Control Society, um, where I met a number of people up there. Um, and I I think, I learned, well, Peter Goldsmith taught me to fly on a, a Liberty Sport biplane. And then a, and I had a 60-sized ugly stick and it was orange because it was just the can of color of paint I could find at the time. And it's, uh, it's interesting as I look back now, that's 40, I'd 35, that'd be nearly 40 years ago. Um, and there are still people that I met there that I'm friends with today. Yes. It's, it's, that's a, it's a, it's a concept that sort of holds true that if you're an avid aero modeler and you're young and, and you've got some mates in the hobby, well, they're probably going to be your mates for a very long period of time. Yeah. Like Just choose carefully. Yeah. Choose carefully. <laughs> that's true because you can't shake them, can you? You're going to see them at an <laughs> event or at a club somewhere, aren't you? Yes, that's right. Yeah. But, you know, but I generally think that we, we gravitate towards people that we like and so generally uh, – you know, we stick to them. But so obviously, you know, there's this recurring story with a lot of people that they, there was a period of time when they weren't involved in the hobby. They, they started, you know, they got married or had a girlfriend or got into cars or something like that. Did you have that experience or did you stay with the model aeroplane? Managed to stay, managed to stay with it pretty much. Um, yeah, girlfriends and all the rest had still managed to keep a little bit of it going. Um, yeah, wandered from sort of relationships and all the rest on. Um, and then uh, uh, sort of still kept flying and flying was always, uh, because I was working shift work, um, weekends were hard to get. So it was nice to have a flying field that I could go flying at uh, when I had days off during the week and that sort of thing. So that always helped. Well, you, you were a policeman, weren't you? Yeah, I did nearly 30 years in the New South Wales Police. Did you ever work with Brian Winch? Uh, knew Brian Winch very, very well. Yeah, he's a good man, Brian. A major a boy could get an engine going. We oh. had a, I had a, uh, I fly lots of seaplanes. And Brian, I've actually got photos of the last time with Brian Winch. And I did, people said, oh, they never saw him fly. Well, I did. I watched him fly. Uh, he was a better engineer than the pilot, and that's okay, <laughs> but he had a go. Yeah. And I had a quarter-scale kingfisher, and um, I crashed it. And it had a brand-new OS-120 surpass. In the, on the, now, the kingfisher is like a Piper Cub wing with a pylon-mounted engine, and it broke off in the dam and sunk. Oh. I spent bloody weekends wading through neck deep weeds with metal waterproof metal detectors trying to find this bloody engine i ah. anyway the great drought that came along 10 years later and the dam went from 15 acres down to about the size of three tennis courts and i'd always known where i'd lost it and i remember and i could, i remember the day vividly because i um I just finished building the first fifth scale Kingfisher and I flew it and maidened it on the day and in the small pond of water that we had. 
that was left. And um, I remember looking across the far side of the dam, and it would be six or seven hundred metres away, I suppose, and looking across, seeing a little bump on the shore. And I, could, I said to Brian Winch and the others, I said, I bet you that's that engine I've never been able to find. And they've all called BS on that. So I put the damn thing down and put the land of the plane and I walked all the way around the, the dam and there was the engine. The whole engine pod that had broken off 11 years ago. Um, there it was, caked in, caked in mud, the whole bloody lot. And I bought it back and I said to Brian Winch, I said, well, you're the effing engineer, fix it. <laughs> and three weeks later, he rang me. And I've still got the OS engine. He, I've still got the report. And it says water damage. <laughs> Repair question mark. At the end. That the sounds engine, like Brian. The engine looks like it's been run over and beaten up with a shotgun at 30 paces. It's got pock marks all over it. It's still got the original. The bearings that were in it were still good. Mind you, when we had the engine apart, we did put in some new bearings. It's got the original crankshaft, valve, valve springs, piston, liner. Um, the prop hub we changed because there was some corrosion of some pitting and it just wouldn't support the prop as well as it could. The carby was the only thing that we couldn't resurrect. Yeah, as we up. Oh, well, the little screws had rusted in it. We just yeah. couldn't. They'd, they'd rusted off flush. So we were done. Um, so we had to put a new carby on and we couldn't get the original inlet manifold. So we ended up having to change the inlet manifold carby. And because they bolt to the back plate, a new back plate, it didn't need it. But the bolting holes had changed with the carby we put on. And I've still got the engine that sits in a 120 sports to here that I drag out occasionally to go and have a fly with. That's amazing. And he did a write-up in on one of the magazines because it had cool power and it had been running on that since the day I got it. Yeah. Uh, and there it was. It it still runs. So, yes, I know Mr. Winch very well. Yeah, that's a great story. Is, uh, Brian, is, oh, there's a lot of stories around Brian and he used to write for me in a magazine and, um, yeah, loved loved talking. Uh, I miss my chats with Brian and a chat with Brian didn't go for half an hour, just generally oh, no. for about two hours. But, um, yeah, yeah, man. There was nothing brief about it. I always say, you know, with Brian's passing, we lost one of the world's greatest model engine experts, really, that there was no other person in the world that was could write a review on a motor like Brian could. The, the depth of that he would go into, that he would strip oh. the engine down and tell you about the bearings in, the, in it and all that kind of stuff and then put it back together and go and run it. Like, it was just mm. absolutely amazing. Um you know, he, 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 he was, and over the years, there's been lots of characters. Uh, and we're all too short of characters, to be brutally honest. Um, but Brian, and Brian was certainly a character, as was uh, Lloyd Dipple. You didn't have to like the man, but boy, he could build a model and he could fly it. And Ross Woodcock, equally as colourful. And I'm sure in Victoria, you've got your collection of heroes who, who carry the same aura about them. Yeah. Difficult to deal with, but memorable. That's true. Yeah, definitely true. Now, you mentioned um, seaplanes, you know, and um, 
it seems to be a big, big passion of yours. How did you come about flying off the water and, you know, what, what are you doing with it nowadays? Um, started with the seaplanes when I was at, WR, at, at SRCS. Um, and that'd be uh, early 80s. Um, and I like like lots of modelers, we would hang out for the American and the English magazines to arrive. And I saw articles starting to appear on seaplanes. I thought that'll be fun. And um, I've always liked the water, grew up on the water. So it, it just seemed a, a, a logical progression. Um, I built a Kingfisher, started, I built a wooden Kingfisher from uh, Dennis Tapsfield did some plans um, and it flew okay. And then I made another, I crashed it as we all do. And then I made a couple of others and then I made a fiberglass mold and that got me started on fiberglass. And um, I've made fiberglass molds for them for quarter scale, a fifth scale, um, a third scale, which is you know, 12 feet. Um, and I've made them, I've been turning out odd product for um, nearly 20 years, I guess. And I've sold them all over the world. I remember I've been over to Canada. I love Canada and go over float flying over there. And it was a real buzz to turn up with two oversized coffins mm. and pulled out four ready to fly aeroplanes um, and another six kits. And then we flew for the week at this event at Sushwap Lake. Um, and I came, went back the following year and there were seven or eight Anderson Kingfishers of mine all on the beach flying for the week. Really? And, and I, it was kind of fun to, to uh, just to see, wow, out of a little workshop and a little garage out the back of nowhere, um, turn up and here's a whole bunch of them being flown over in Canada. Well, that um, that Kingfisher, that's a beautiful looking seaplane. That's a proper seaplane. You know, you you landed on the belly and uh, that, oh, yeah. That, that's yeah, I like that. Well, there's a couple of Catalinas I'm pottering on with Ross Matthew. We're going to get on. Oh, I've got a 14 footer here, ready, almost ready to go. There's a 10 and a half foot fully molded Sunderland. Oh, sorry, Sandringham, because we've got the civilian nose to do. So there's more than a few seaplanes around to, to keep me out of mischief. I did during the the uh, COVID lockdown. I built a a sheer water. I did an article actually. We went in the wingspan of what we. I oh know we did the. Can't remember. No, I did the hyperbike then. The it's a sheer water. It's a, a New Zealand prototype of a seaplane, a boat hull, V tail, electric, and I built that during the first lockdown. Uh, for a bit of fun. Well, that's all we can do really in these lockdowns, isn't it? Get into the shit yeah. build. It's called Groundhog Day. It is. It is. We were talking a bit about it <laughs> off air. It's a bit painful. Well, <laughs> you talked about, you know, keeping yourself out of mischief. And I don't know whether you're going to get into mischief or out of mischief because now you've, you know, taken on the role as the MAAA president. Uh, now, what was your journey to becoming the MAAA president? You know, when did you start getting involved in the administration side of things? Oh, it's probably 
uh, 10 years ago, I suppose it was, started at, uh, we, we were having a change in the leadership team in, in, at, um, in New South Wales. And um, I was asked to be with uh, Bob Carpenter, the vice president. So I took that on for a while, then was secretary for a number of years. Um, and then Bob stepped down and I, um, I took on the president's role. And we've been in with the, the current team for sort of four or five years now. Um, and we've got a really good, solid team that are working working well together to just try and grow aero modelling and provide a service back back to our members. Um, and that's really the whole, that's our whole motivation for any of us, really. We're, we're all just trying to trying to pay it forward. What What's our legacy going to be? Because none of us are going to live forever. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm watching your legacy. You know, the magazines, the podcasts, telling the story, bringing people on a journey, the engagement. And it is those recognising the skills, capturing them while people are still alive to tell you about the skills so that, Others can work at work out how to do it, make it better, improve and evolve as we go. Well, that's true. I think um, often, you know, you know, we were talking a bit about this off air. That you know, why did you do? Why did you get involved? And 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 the common answer when I ask that question to anybody that's involved at an administrative at an administrative level in the hobby is they go, oh, I don't know. It's just it's just painful. But I think I've worked out why. And some people don't mind standing up and being counted. You know, like, I'll give that a go and I'll, I'll help out. And um, there's some people think that, oh, you know, you're doing it for money or, you know, you have a badge on your shirt or that kind of stuff. Well, I can probably safely assume by your sniggering that, you know, <laughs> you haven't bought a Ferrari on the back of become, getting involved with the MAAA, have you? Um, that I don't, I don't want to know how many hours have been sunk so far yeah look i think it's interesting that when you look at people such as yourself in those kind of roles and you know i've been involved in committees before and presidents of of the local flying club and that kind of stuff and committee members in the local flying club someone has to stand up and do the job if nobody did it then we're, we're going nowhere uh and it's a bit like politics somebody has to stand up we're always going to bash the prime minister no matter what flavor you're ah. voting for because they're, they're sticking their neck out and so you know you're open you're open to criticism but if that person didn't stand up there would be nobody and if there is somebody else we'll vote for them <laughs> allow them it's a great democratic society that we live in that you don't like the president of your local flying club well stand up and if you can do a better job and you know we need people like yourself and you know that like down to the local flying club the, the committee member that's responsible for cutting the grass if nobody cuts the grass we ain't flying off a strip. We're flying oh, off doesn't, a paddock. But, that, but doesn't everyone complain when the, the grass isn't cut? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you're 100% right. And it is just about uh, – um, you'll start to see in, in, in the literature and uh, commentary and stuff that's going out, it's about uh, – when I got elected, I went and I had to do some presentations and people saying, oh, the MAAA's got a problem or you've got a problem. And, uh, and I, w I was hurt because it's not me and it's not mine. 
And I, I pulled them up. I said, hang on. Andy mean, I've got a problem. Well, you know, the MAAA does this or the MAAA doesn't do that or what does the MAAA do? I said, well, firstly, it's not mine. It's everybody's. It's us. Because without us at the grassroots at the flying field, um, there is no MAAA. We are it. All this is is a structure that we can lobby government and receive the benefits for, for having some solid structures around and mops and policies and wings that lets us do what we want to do. Um, I had one fellow tell me that he had a constitutional right to fly. And I thought, oh, hang on. I said, look, look, I haven't read the constitution for a week or two, but if you could tell me what section that was, that'd help. Well, it's um, the vibe. It's Marbo. Yeah, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> is it? Uh, he, I said because my recollection was 1901, the states seceded some powers to the Commonwealth, and Wilbur and Orville Wright didn't fly until when? It was after 1901. So, how could we have that in the federal constitution? Uh, anyway, he went quiet after that. Well, you. You're always going to have your detractors, aren't you, when you stick your neck out? But and that okay. Let's just clarify, right? Let's give give us some visibility as to what the the MAAA ecosystem look like from the top down, right? Because I know that the when when we people use this, I call it the magical word, the MAAA, as if it's like <laughs> a person warming as Mister MAAA walks around. Well, the MAAA is about four people, isn't it? <laughs> the MAAA is a president. One federal secretary, a vice president, and a treasurer. Uh, that's all. And everyone says, oh, the MAAA will do this. And the MAAA, I oh, will just leave it to the MAAA to do it. No, no, no. Hang on, guys. Tim, it you starts are with. You the MAAA. It always starts with, they should be doing. And I'm thinking, <laughs> <That's right>. which <laughs> yeah. they? And we've had Tyson Dodd, the secretary, on the podcast, and I and I caught up with him when he came down to Victoria, you know, before lockdowns, to a jet event, and um, and he's like, I'm just so busy, you know, like I, I can't squeeze anything more into my day with the MAAA. And I said, Well, come on, everyone else is expecting you, you know, get out there, you know, they need to do something. So you got the MAAA at the top, and there's the, the four of you up at the top, and then it we trickle down to what's the next level. Okay, next level. And so the MAAA has the executive. That's the four of us. Then you have the presidents of the various state associations. So you have a delegate from each, effectively each state body. In in layman's terms, says so one, you know, a group from each state are represented, and they make up. That is the MAAA. And all of the other affiliate members, so like yourself, who's a, a member at PNDARKS or whatever club or BRAGS or wherever you're a member, you affiliate through VMAA and that is then your link to the MAAA. Does that make sense? Yes. I already right. knew the answer, Tim. I was just doing right. it. Right. And, no, and then the next part of it is MAAA sits with a, a couple of other bodies, which then sits at ASAC, more acronym central, it's aviation, which then gives the link to FAI. 
So that's how it trickles through the process. This link with the FAI, how mm-hmm. does that benefit us? Uh, uh, Australian sports aviation, uh, I can't think of the last name, it's Commission Committee. Um, they are made up of the various recreational aviation groups, parachutes, gliders, hang gliders, powered gliders, skydiving, hot air balloons, RAOs. um, I think there's one or two others. Um, So they make up ASAC. They have very much the year of government and have the ability to lobby uh, CASA, the Department of Infrastructure, has a huge sway over airspace and airspace use, particularly now with the uh, the pressure being applied for other remotely piloted aerial systems to start using the airspace. So I'm talking now things like we, we operate on visual line of sight. A lot of the RPAS operators are operating either on visual line of sight, extended line of sight, or beyond visual line of sight. So these, some of these aircraft can be doing hundreds of kilometres missions. So there's quite a bit of activity in the airspace, and this is one of those issues that the government is grappling with at the moment for, that will, will impact on all of us and where they're lobbying hard to make sure that we can continue to function and operate as, as we have enjoyed and as we do today. But I've still got to push this point about FAI and our affiliation oh, okay. with, with Our affiliation to FAI gives us our access for competition. Now, that doesn't represent a lot of our flyers, about 3%. And it is the it has been the view of the council and therefore your individual state bodies um, that we should remain part of that that group and that competition has promoted all sorts of benefits for all of us over the years uh, i'm personally it whilst competition is important it is important to a smaller group, not necessarily the majority, uh, but it is a, a decision that is made by all of those that sit around the table, not mine, not necessarily mine to make. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm a big supporter of competition. Like you said, there's not many of us that sort of will compete. But what we find, and, and through my experience of, of running this this podcast, which is now episode sixty nine, I think, and the the people that are competing are working at a top level in the hobby, whether it be the scale teams, the pattern teams and whatever. And their knowledge and their skill often filters down to to their local clubs. They, they, they've got that experience and they share that knowledge. That's one aspect of it that we see it, see, you know, the, the tangible aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is thanks to the world of the internet and social media and, and the ability to share your story and your photos and whatever, 
they're playing a role in motivating others to explore more in their hobby. So um, uh, Peter Goff up in New South Wales will, will share, I think it's a Wirraway that it was, I think it was a Wirraway or something like that he's building, yeah. and it's phenomenal. And you see that. Or um, Patsy up in Queensland making, um, you know, moulded planes and stuff like that and sharing that those photos and, and, and the building techniques and that kind of stuff. David Giles on... Um, Facebook uh, pushing stuff. Now, you know, David's been involved in competition and, and has built up a lot of knowledge, as his son Aaron, of course, um, that it's those kind of people that are helping to push push it along. And so I, I personally don't see an issue with it at all to foster competition because of all those benefits. I, I think there's another group that you've missed. And for every one of those that make it to a team, there will be 60 or 80 people or 100 plus people more probably who have competed at various state titles or events leading up to qualifying events. Um, you've only got to look at the turnout at Gerildery, for example, with the gliders. You get to watch a couple hundred blokes and they are going hammer and tong for three or four days excluding COVID, but, you know, flying hard. And there will only be one or two of those that will make it to a world team. But they're all there trying their hardest for that for the, the kudos of winning the event. So whilst it isn't all FAI competition, a lot of the classes they compete in are of an international or a, or a class which enables the competition and the events to actually run to a formula that where you're comparing chickens with chickens and like-minded or like-styled aircraft of a similar scale, power weight ratios for detail. Obviously the bigger the model, you can put more detail in it, but equally have a look at some of the really small free flight scale models. Um, and, and the, attention to detail that goes into some of those is is just mind-boggling yeah. uh, it's someone's shrunk a full-size airplane with a ray gun and it's 12 inches wide and it flies and it's either rubber powered or it's or it's free flight um, or radio controlled um there it's all there and it's it's almost limited by your imagination no, that is true. So, so, so FAI and the competition helps provide some uniformity and some structure around, I won't say corralling because it doesn't, but into a, so that you can compete with like, like type aircraft of similar size and performance weights to try and have an event or a bit of a competition. Hmm. Like, from a from a financial perspective, because you know one of the comments that people will say is that oh the MAAA spend all their money on supporting you know a handful of people that want to go overseas and and compete, but as a percentage of your budget, you know, I don't know where you can mention this or not, but whether it's public knowledge, but it's it's not significant. Yeah, like if and and these guys get five grand, I think it is, it might be seven, um, per team member. Okay. Um, I don't know. I know some guys that went over to Top Gun. Now, that's not an FAI event. But if they're getting out of it for much under 20 or 25, and that's pre-COVID times, I shudder to think what it's going to cost to ship aeroplanes and pilots off to some world championships 
in the next three to five years. Um, they are digging deep into their own pockets to go and compete. And, and it's rather a shallow argument, I believe, to go, oh, you're pouring your money in there. Um, I think that it's not correct. Well, that's why, Tim, I'm going to go to the World Championships for discus launch gliding because they're gliders I could put under my arm and sit in the aeroplane with me and it's a lot cheaper. But the scale guys, you know, that went to the World Champs in Switzerland, mm-hmm. I shudder to think how much it costs them to get their planes there. But not it's not only just getting your planes there. Flights, accommodation, um, you know, go and buy a cup of coffee for 10 bucks if you're lucky. You know, exchange rate mm-hmm. ruins us. that. You know, you're spending maybe 250 bucks a day minimum just to be there, at least, if not more. Um, you know, it's not a not a not a cheap cheap exercise at all. But oh, uh, not a, not at all. No. And um, they make a huge commitment, like your athletes and everyone else does. They're all it it doesn't come for free, and they are making big sacrifices on their own, as are their partners and family. Yeah. Well, these some I've got to, out of this conversation. There's a few questions sort of without notice, but again, huh, what I'm trying sure? to do is I, like <laughs> you and I haven't sat down and pre-planned questions, and you know you must say this so that we can polish up the MAAA kind of thing because we've got sort of haven't got much to lose, have we? But uh, talking about finances, how is the MAAA funded? It's funded by our members. So out of your when you when when you pay your club fees, and this is where I smile. Some clubs say, oh, you know, my MAAA fee is, is, is $400 or $350. I go, hang on, how do you get that? Um, well, that's what I pay. It's, it's a bit like saying my, my car rego is $1,500 or $2,000. Um, oh, that rego is so expensive. But hang on, what what? You, you, you've given me a total number. What what makes it up? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, have a look. You know, there's third-party insurance, uh, you know, third-party uh, green, or green slips in New South Wales. I don't know what they're, you know, your third-party personal liability insurance. You've got your registration, and nearly all the states have got a, a road tax levy based on the weight and size of your vehicle. That's how you get to the number. In your club fees, you'll pay $150 to the club. You know, that's got to pay for your lawnmower and lease costs and, and the other bits that you do there. Then VMAA or ANSW or Queensland, they're providing the flight training instructors to go around and be able to deliver it. Some administration to manage your heavy model permits and area approvals and all of the stuff you need to operate. Then at at the MAAA level, you've got your insurances, having the resources to actually manage all of the documentation that is required, the international relationships that need to be kept alive and nurtured. All of those sorts of things have got to be funded so that we can all do what we want to do. Uh, and then, you, you know, I'm involved in a number of technical working groups with 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 CASA, which is setting the tone for what's going to happen in the next number of years around airspace usage and all of that sort of stuff. So we're involved in those sorts of discussions as well. I've been saying for many years, uh, you know, I've worked with other associations, 
you know, the hobbyist, hobby based association, car racing and things like that. And for years I've been saying that, does everybody understand how much money is actually going to be needed as we move forward? Because gone are the days of relying on a volunteer network to assist in certain aspects. So as an example, um, pre-having a website, you didn't need a web manager, did you? Right? And you didn't have to have specialist expertise. Um, someone would say, I'll do the newsletter, um, I'll, you know, and they'd go away and they'd uh, build this newsletter and print it out and staple it and hand it around, that kind of thing. Or, yep. you know, if we had to create a poster, I'll go and do it. You know, everyone would sort of pitch in and volunteer. But as we move on and society changes, there's less volunteers around. And so now you got to have a website. Well, we need someone that knows how to build a website. Well, does, it, does anybody know how to build a website? No, I don't have that expertise. On how to, well, we're going to have to pay for someone to go and build a website. And that starts to keep on going on and on. Oh, now we've got social media. Now we have to do this. Now we want an online system for accepting money to get, you know, process licenses. And now we need this. Mm-hmm. And so the need to be well financed to support the mechanism is actually growing. This is again, this is just my opinion on the on the matter from my experiences that and even my local club has identified that. They've they've said in their budget, we are going to have to make more money because we can't rely on a volunteer base to support our activities moving forward because it's just too hard and we're too reliant on one person that is getting old and is getting tired of trying to carry mm-hmm. the flag for everybody. So I think, uh, you know, there's been a lot of people who comment about having a paid secretary, but um, who would want to do that job for free? And I, I wouldn't want to do it. And it's like I'd want to get paid really, really well to do that job. Yeah, and um, it is, and, and everybody wants it yesterday. And the level of scrutiny that we are all under is increasing the regulatory inquiry you know the the regulatory requirements you've only got to look at drones have come along 3d helicopters were in for a while then drones have come along now you've got them everywhere there are nearly 3 million dji products registered in australia Um, they are all in the airspace or not all of them at once but a lot of them are and the government is looking at managing and mitigating the risks. So we've got to work out systems and processes and, and lobby and manage and negotiate with government to make sure that we've still got a right to exist and that we continue to have those things. Um, and I have to say, with stepping up to the top table, I've noticed just how much of this stuff goes on in the background that people have no idea. It's a bit like the design rules they all talk about in your motor car. Would you go cruising now in your, your FJ Holden, feeling safe, no seatbelts, no airbags, questionable brakes on a good day, uh, skinny tyres, poor suspension and an unreliable motor? <laughs> um, now they're all looking at five-star five, five ANCAP ratings, anti-lock braking, latest GPS navigation, look at the, take Subarus with all of the smarts about collision avoidance and all of this stuff that's coming. All got to be paid for to meet the expectations. Well, I think that's right. So so finance is always an issue, you know, because 
you know, a few few years back, I remember the MAAA finally increased their fees. You know, they, and I've seen this happen with clubs before, where they hold off, hold off, hold off, and then it gets to a point where okay, we're going to have to do something, and you'll get twenty percent of the of the community up in arms. Oh, why are they charging us so much extra and all this kind of stuff? It's like, well, they haven't charged you for the last ten years, and there's something called inflation. And by the way, you know the environment's changed a bit, and uh, things have got a bit more expensive. And um, yeah, it's twenty bucks. Uh, you're gonna have to fork it out. When it comes to deciding where to spend the MAAA's money, how is that determined? We sit down at council and go go through just like a club does, and line items on an ex- a monster Excel spreadsheet. And you look at what you've spent over the last couple of years as a guide and you've run a business and lots of model, era modelers do. A budget is nothing more than a best guess as to what's going to happen. You know, so we base it on past experience, future expenditure and, and, uh, and source the best price we can for the best product. Um, that represents what we believe is good value for all of our members, and um, and that is the process, and that gives us a number at the end of the day, and you go, okay, it's going to cost that much. We figured there'll be nine thousand or nine and a half thousand members, uh, five hundred those are juniors, they pay less money, therefore you do the extrapolation and say it's going to cost us all ninety bucks a year. Now, when's the, lots of our era modelers have all got, and I've got, I've got a fourteen-year-old. Um, uh, I've only got to put him into. Let's not worry about what school. Just put him into soccer, and cricket, or AFL, and pick any other sport you want to do, swimming, or whatever. Um, just even the humble boy scouts, you know, the scouts program. There's $350 to $400 a year. Now, Scouts goes for the full year for that. But soccer is only a what? Or football or AFL is a 18-week season, 20-week season. That'll cost you 400 bucks. Let's not worry about all of the kit and caboodle to go with it. Um, error modelling is bloody cheap for what we get. Unless you've got a passion for expensive turbines, and then that means no, I wasn't <laughs> just because you want to smell kerosene. That's that's your personal affliction. Yeah, that's true. That is true, and that, that's that's right. We have choice. And no one's saying you have to buy a turbine jet. You know, you can go and buy. You can live with one aeroplane, really. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. You know, my son's got into table tennis, and I'm joining him playing a bit of table tennis. And you'd be surprised at how much it starts to add up just to turn up. It's costing us, I think. On average per week, some quick sums, forty. It's close to eighty dollars a week for the two of us to go and play table tennis. No further questions. Yeah, you've answered it perfectly. And you know, fortunately, I'm an athlete, Tim. You know, and so I need to look after my body and get out there and hit the hit the little ball around. And we're enjoying it, but that's that's the only reason why I work. I think is to be able to have these experiences in life. Well, as somebody said, work so bad they've got to pay you to do it. But if you want the rest of the experiences, you've got to earn the money to go and do it. That's a great one. I really like really like that one. And when it, so, how if you hold the position of president, 
how much say do you have in in a lot of this decision making processes? You know, like how much power do you do you do you really have? Because that word president, everyone looks up and goes, "Oh, well, they're running the whole show, and it's all whatever they want, and they just told us how it is, and they didn't consult us." But how does it actually? What's the reality of the situation? I would suggest any think of your average club meeting where you've got your president and secretary and treasurer up there, saying, "Boys and girls." We want a new fence and our lawnmower's buggered and it's going to cost us this. Do we go with a Victor or do we go and get an El Toro or what are we going to do? The fence, should it be wire or timber paling or what about how are we going to put this up and where should it go? And the council is not a lot different. The ideas are put up, we discuss them, we take a vote and we do it or we don't. It's not a lot different. No different to watching Parliament, local government, or any other board running a company. You've got your objectives, keep everybody flying, make sure the bills are paid and the lights are turned on. Yeah, that's true. What do you see as the biggest challenge that the MAAA is currently facing? Age. Were you calling me old? You're significantly younger than me, Spring Chicken. <laughs> uh, no, no, we. I, I think we've growing and maintaining the membership is is a big one, and it, and that's a double-edged sword because we need to grow to survive. We have lots of older members who are still flying and need to be encouraged and nurtured. I've, I've been on a buddy box as the student with people, right? Because they say, hey, come and have a go or whatever. There's no shame in being on the end of a buddy box and flying a model. And some of our older members, we've got to keep them flying. It's good for their mental health. It's actually good for all of us. So that's one. The other part of it is recruiting and retaining members. If you think about, does your club have an onboarding, you know, welcoming someone? What's the process? If someone turns up with little Johnny or Jane or they're 30 or 40 years old, turns up, so I'd like to learn how to fly. Well, we don't do that here. Uh, Grumpy Old Men's Club, I watched in absolute horror. The Two or three years ago now, I was at a flying field actually doing some turbine inspections. And this young child turned up with a foam aeroplane with his mum. And this grumpy old bloke in the corner said, piss off, Sonny, we don't have those foam aeroplanes here. We only deal with real ones with balsa wood and tissue. And I was just horrified, just horrified. Absolutely. And the how difficult, if you think about how hard is it to walk up to some of these fields and try and introduce yourself. A, they're hard to, a lot of them are hard to find. Lots of clubs say, oh, we tell everyone the same. We're all, we'll, we'll welcome everyone. Watch what happens sometimes when some people do come up and it's really quite sad. So that is, I think, one of the big challenges that we all face. And it doesn't matter how good a marketing campaign or how well the states put together the glossy brochures and we get the news story to cover us at 6.30 or a, a weekend news story about go and find your local model club and go and have some fun. What they do is really cool. It's tech. It's 
it's it's innovation, it's experimentation, it's exciting, it's a real rush to build something and make it fly. And it doesn't matter how well the states, it's when that magic moment occurs when the person arrives at the front gate as to how they're met. And sadly, we miss an awful lot of really good opportunities in that area. And people say, oh, you could write another policy about it. Yeah. There's no point writing a policy, they're not reading it. What is an error modeler? If I look at us, and you're no different, you're highly visual, you are a kinesthetic learner. In other words, you learn by doing and tinkering and innovating and experimenting. Limited reading from books, most of us. And we learn by watching. And I think we get also that that watching gives us that gives us that motivation. We 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 fall in love with the visual aspect of it. You know, we see that oh. we see that model playing and go, I just have to have it. No, I see. I can see the, the inner workings of the mind going when you're watching someone starting to talk about a model that they don't have and they're convincing themselves that they really, really need it and they're looking at YouTube videos nowadays and they're talking to other people that might have one the next minute, they place the order and their 40th plane is about to enter their shed and, it's, and off they go. Because it's, it's illogical when you think about it, how many model aeroplanes we, we all own, but to us it's logical, you know. Um, yeah, let's not let's not even look around my workshop. Oh, well, no you man, oh, man. Let's you not sent me a photo, there. and I think that you should be using this COVID period to really clean up your shed. You know, it's just well, I've, it's, I've it's actually I've got it. I'm trying to. We've got a, approvals to do an extension on the house, so the garage is hemorrhaging because half the stuff in here is due to go into the extension. So the extension uh, is really a bigger shed. Is that what you're saying? No, there's 120 square meters in the shed. It's big enough. Oh. See, that's my dream. It's okay. It's adequate. Yeah. Um, there was a question that I was going to ask. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've experienced at some clubs, um, especially amongst an older demographic, and I haven't got anything against older people because I can't wait to be old myself and and be in that stage of life. You know, I've just got a bit bit to go. You know, I look forward to that freedom of saying, it's a nice day this Tuesday. I'm going to go flying rather than Tuesday. I'll be working on Tuesday. Uh, there's there's some, some... It, it doesn't matter with COVID. Well, that's true. That's yeah. what it's like. Oh. I mean, where are you going to go? Stop rubbing it in, Tim, because it's annoying. Hey, the life. weather up here has been drop dead gorgeous, calm, oh. clear blue skies, a light breeze, 22, 23 degrees, and you can't go within. You can't go outside the driveway and no further than five kilometres from home. I'm sorry. I mean. That's that's evil. Oh, it is. <laughs> it really is like rubbing salt into the wound when you have that. Absolutely. That really. That, uh, I, 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 actually, last weekend, I it was perfect flying conditions down here. Blue sky, no wind, about eighteen degrees, mm -hmm. nice comfortable temperature, and I just walked in and said to the wife, "Good flying weather today." You know that 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 whole saying, "Good flying weather today," really, that's what we aero modelers can understand. <laughs> we know exactly Absolutely. what that means. Good flying conditions. Now, but what I want to say is there there is an element amongst an old demographic that, and I've literally heard them say this to me, we don't care about the growth of the hobby because we're going to be dead before there's any problems due to lack of numbers. So we don't care. We don't want more people at our club. We're happy the way that it is. We don't want to change anything. What would you say to those people? I say that's sad that that's what you want your legacy to be. That's really sad because there are a lot of people who invested in them 
when they were children or young men, right? Now, Brian Winch was one who invested in me, Lloyd Dipple and a number of other characters all encouraged me. And I can remember going to Lloyd's place and he's, he, he was busy building all sorts of bits. And he said, and it, it, he made it you feel like he was waiting for you to arrive so he could help you with your little problem, which for you was insurmountable. But to someone who's been doing it a while, here, let me show you how it's done. And we do it this way and we do it that way. And that'll work. Or you can do it this way and show you another way as well. And it's about paying it forward, really. The messages I'd like to leave people with are, what are you going to do to pay it forward for those that invested in you? And if you haven't seen the film Pay It Forward, it's worth having a look because that is a pure intention and it is something that is not unachievable for us. Uh, and that that's important. And investing in the future. We've got an obligation to do that, I believe. You raise the, 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 the issue about um, participation in the hobby as being mm -hmm. a, a critical issue. Uh, and you know, a, a lot of people look to the M MAAA for leadership on this, um, on this front. You know, is there, have you got a vision as what, how you think the MAAA can help, you know, help that situation? I think there's been a disconnect between the MAAA, the state bodies, and the clubs. And you will see coming out, certainly I want to see, uh, from the MAAA, more communication down to the members. You've seen the video I did. There'll be more of those sorts of messaging coming out from the MAAA going back to the clubs and members saying, here's who I am, here's what we are. I sent that video out. Lots of people looked at it. Um, I think 60-odd people responded directly to me by email. I responded to every one of them individually, and some raised concerns or asked questions, and I did a, an individual response to every one of them that, that I received. And I will continue assuming I don't get too slammed, um, to try and respond where I can um, and to provide the answers so that people understand. And I'm just a volunteer. I've got some time and I'm trying to put back and leave it better than when I found it. Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting. So there's, from a personal point of view, what do you gain out of being the MAAA president? More grey hair. What's wrong with grey hair? I'm start. I've got grey hairs. Well, at least you've I got, got hair. Full, I got a head full of it. Yeah, you've got hair. Mine's... I'd like to keep at least what I've got. That'd be a start. Um, um, I get to work with some really passionate, committed people that want to make it better. You've interviewed Michael. You've seen met with Tyson, Gary Pope, our treasurer. Again, equally dedicated. And some of the state presidents and state bodies have got some amazing dynamos in them. That, that are really there to try and make it better and ensure that it grows, nurturing young ones, putting the money back into the clubs. And, and that is what gives me some joy.
you know, I think, you know, from a personal point of view, I really like how, now, especially here, here in Victoria, the VMAA has done an excellent job in purchasing land to allow to, to secure flying spots or flying fields for us. And okay, granted that some of those fields are not in suburban Melbourne, which is you're not going to find a suitable piece of land in any major city now in Australia. You know, it's just you're right. nature, I think. But you know, with a little bit of a drive. Um, depending on where you live, you can get to one of the state fields. And and so there's been a lot of sort of that money that we contribute through our fees that comes back into the hobby. Now, my money that I might, might pay may end up in the hands of another club um, and that kind of thing. At MAAA level, is, is, are you continually trying to support clubs financially as well to you know to assist we, them? We're in always looking out for that, and and the grants, the club assistance schemes, those sorts of are a way where we can give back. Uh, the land issue is an interesting one because it ties up huge amounts of capital, and it doesn't always serve the greater good or the largest and best numbers. So. You know, Victoria is exceptionally well serviced. South Australia have got a few as well. Um, but the, you, you, you're getting to the point now, if you want to buy, put a flying field somewhere within an hour, to say within two hours of a metropolitan city, a large one, Sydney, Brisbane, you know, um, you're looking at a million dollars. Now, it's really hard to justify a million dollars worth of our members' money sitting at a field for 30 or 40 people. That's true. Well, well the VMAA doesn't spend that much, but... but no, well, no, get, those, some of those fields are getting not far short. They're six, seven hundred thousand. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, it gets up there real quick, and that's a lot of money sitting there. Now... I don't know what the answer is. And this is something we're pushing around, but I don't know. Do, do we perhaps look to go to? Um, do we perhaps look to go to long-term leases of rural property? Let's sign up for a twenty-year lease. Will be a whole lot less money, and we can have sixty of them instead of owning three fields. I don't. I, I don't know what the answer is here. Yeah. If you've got a 20-year lease, um, that means because clubs also have a life cycle. If you think about it, lots of clubs have a life cycle and they will they'll fracture and splinter and fall apart or whatever. It, so there are those other elements that come into play. Whilst it's always an appreciating asset for the MAAA, sure, but... It's about getting a, the best return you can for all of the members. Mm. See, from my perspective, I, I view my hobby over my lifetime, that uh, as I get older, I'll actually be more active in my era modelling than, say, what I am now because young kids work, etc. You know, many things pulling me in different directions. That, And I'm talking from a, a, a Melbourne local area situation, which is, which is my area. Every flying club that is located in the vicinity of the CBD is under threat. Mm. Every yes. single one of them. All it will take in some areas, if they rezone land, 
the club's gone straight away because the landowner is going to sit there and cash in and make thirty million plus straight away. Uh, the 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 club that I'm a member of. The development of land and the estates are getting closer and closer. The Greensboro Club, the Keylor Club, the Melton Club, the Doncaster Club sitting in suburbia is always under threat. We mm-hmm. could see within a 10-year period at least eight clubs forced to shut down. Now, what I believe, and that is not out of the question at all. Like that's none of these con- clubs That's conservative. Say, yeah. That's conservative. So, the, what the VNAA has been able to do is, yes, I can get to probably the nearest state field to me is probably about an hour and a half drive, right? Mm. So that's 45 minutes more than I currently do now each way. But at least I'm going to have a place to go because we've seen this happen in um, what's happened to the, the sporting shooters that, you know, want fire, fire mm. clay targets and targets, etc. that they've been driven out and... Uh, further and further out or the clubs have folded because they couldn't find land. The availability of suitable land to fly model aircraft where we've got noise issues, height issues, space issues, all that kind of stuff is just getting harder and harder. I just, I don't know how how Sydney siders get by. Like, how, how long does it take you to get to your local club? Uh, I, I'm, I'm doing 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. So if I want to go float flying, I'm going out to Penrith, which is at the foot of the Blue Mountains. Now, um, uh, there are there are three clubs within Sydney, and they are all under threat for various reasons. Three, there's five actually, you know, uh, and they are all the urban sprawl is real, um, and that is a problem for the organisation going forward. It, it, and it's something that we're all acutely aware of. Can we control it? No, we don't have the budgets, but by owning some fields, when, when the pressure finally hits some of those fields where we own, and we know there are some that are under threat now in, in other states, uh, eventually it will be time to, to liquidate that asset and recoup the money. Now, oh, yeah, but you'll make a million dollars on that block of dirt that you only spent $50,000 on 20 years ago. Um, so there, there is swings and roundabouts, but to buy another block of dirt that will let these guys continue to fly is going to be another hour further out, and it's going to cost $500,000. That's just inflation. So there are a lot of challenges, but there are lots of opportunities to, for us to be smart about what we do too. Um, there are lots of country areas that are really struggling. So a lot of the local government areas in the bush are looking to find uses for the, for the airport infrastructure they have. Some classics, you know, we've got up here, you've got in, in New South Wales, we've got a couple of guys that have got access to uh, various um, local government airports, West Wyalong, they go out and fly jets there. I, down in Victoria, you guys have the Wang, Wangaratta jet meet. Um, Paul Bennett and a few other guys flying up at either Kempsey or Tari Airport. Um, we've got activity happening at Casino um, Airport. And these, these are where local governments are going, well, 
we'll find your place. You can't have it every weekend, but we can give you, you know, a weekend a month. And most of us will go, I can make that work, particularly when you, you take your turbines that you're flying where you need, um, you know, they're not a scrub plane. They're not a, they're not a, a style bush plane that you're flying. You know, they need, they need a, a bitumen runway and, and or good grass level runways to operate with safety. These these are just the challenges. You know, we we have large events where we can get height approvals. For example, at Gerildery, they they get the guys up there for the uh, LSF tournament. They've got two thousand feet and the Aero Tower event in Easter. They're towing some of these eleven meter gliders. They they've got up to four thousand foot height clearance to use. Well, that raises another another question because a lot of this is is predicated on having a good relationship with CASA. And I had Heath McDonald recently on the podcast from Catherine. Mm-hmm. You know, from he's he's an avid aero modeler. And mm-hmm. hi, Heath. I know you listen to this podcast. He listens to every single one. Uh, how would you describe the relationship with Casa? We've got a seat at the table. We are respected, and our opinion is valued. Some of the fallout that's happened around the uh, the drone stuff was not designed for us, but we've been caught a little in the crossfire just because of what and how we operate. But we're in uh, the working relationship with CASA is solid, and and it it's reliable and it's a high trust model. It goes both ways, and it is it is a relationship that is critical to us continuing to do what we want to do and the way we want to do it. Mm. You want to operate above 400 feet, we can get an approval. Five years, no, without too much trouble. You want to fly to 4,000 feet, we can do that too. Um, you, You want to go and do a public display where? Not a problem. We've got the processes and the procedures and a demonstrated history of being able to do it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the important thing is that, you know, if Andrew Sewell rang up uh, CASA and said, oh, I want to do this, and they'll go, what, who are you? But having that, that you know, that group that's got a proven track record with structure to it adds confidence when you're sitting at that table. They go, yeah, yeah, we've got it covered. We, we had it covered 10 years ago. More than that, for 20 years plus we've been doing this kind of stuff. That they go, okay, yep, we trust you. And that was the sentiment that I got talking to Heath was that there was this mutual respect. And, you know, and he said, you know, we're talking to Tyson Dodd every day. Like he's got a direct line with our guys. That it's, it, We're working in partnership. And I think that, you know, when this became evident more when I was talking to Tyson about the MAAA and the value proposition of the MAAA, and when he talked about the insurance and all the insurance, if anybody wants to know um, about, you know, the MAAA insurance programs, go and listen to the Tyson Dodd podcast that I did, the interview. And he, he explains it really, really well that it's not one insurance policy. This I can't remember how many, but there was seven. seven uh, it was seven different policies that are taken out on our behalf. And we're covered for a lot of lot of things that could go wrong at a flying club. You know, if you, you know, hit a car whilst flying accidentally, well, you're covered, that kind of thing. Um, so there's, 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 I think there's, there's considerable value for money when you break it down. Do I think the MAAA has done a great job at explaining that? No. And if you want some tips, I'll give them to you. But, uh, but that's something that's become evident from discussing this, 
having these kind of discussions with you know with Tyson, Michael Hobson, yourself. Yeah, there there are lots of things that the that the MAAA has just done that just happens in the background. It's a, lots of people look at it and it's like a pond, and they go, well, don't see a lot of action. Yeah. There's ducks and bits moving around on it, but there's an awful lot happening under the surface to make it all move and to try and get it to flow seamlessly. There's a lot. People turn up at the flying field and they want the grass mown. They want power or water available so they make tea and coffee and a barbecue. Meanwhile, there are three or four guys who work tirelessly every weekend. They're out in the lawnmower on a Thursday to make sure it's ready for Friday, Saturday and Sunday. They're checking the water, they're checking this, they're making sure there's fuel in the generator to heat or the water gas bottles are full. All of that stuff, when you pay your money, that's what you're expecting. And uh, you were going on about all the insurance. The insurance really is a small part. It's what everybody thinks is the biggest deal. It is one of a plethora of things that happen along the way to get you to be able to fly the models you want to do when you want at the locations you want to do it. Now, we can't give every location a green light, but there are an awful lot that we manage to negotiate our way around where we can come to an arrangement that we can work with. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen other people try to come in and think that they can do it better, but um, the reality is that they haven't. And, that going it alone is something that you know some people are considered some some clubs are thinking oh well, we'll just get our own insurance and all that kind of stuff but um you know i've 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 been party to conversations by committees saying oh do we do we just do our own thing and not worry about MAAA? you know we pay our money to them and what do we get for it and all that kind of stuff and i always say to them well you think about it going alone means you're going it alone you think you're going to ring up casa and casa going to listen to you when something's gone wrong at your field and you can't get height clearance or something like that, do you really think they're going to listen to you? Do you really think that insurance company is going to want to talk to you and your 30 members that you've got at the club and give you a good deal? Do you really want to manage the insurance claims on behalf and collect all the money and all the admin side of it, you know, monitoring your insurance policies and all that kind of stuff and the record keeping and all the stuff that you've got to put in place? Do you really, really want to do that? You know, you know, you you want to go and buy a lawnmower. New, you need a new mower, and you don't have a lot of money. You're going to work out how to get that money, or you could go to your local. You know, you could ask for a grant to help you purchase a mower. You know, like that's what you that's what you're tapping into at a at a club level. So I don't want to sound like I'm trying to you know pump up the tires of the MAAA, but I've thought a lot about this, and it's just my opinion. The matter is that. We have to stick together as aero modelers, and and the the only real banner that we've got to do that is the MAAA. And so, give me an alternative that's better, and you know we'll consider it. But there is an alternative that's better. It's you're quite right. You're 100 percent correct. And whilst what else what else have you got to suggest? I, I as we said earlier, I work in the police. Lots of people don't like the jury system, but before you throw the baby in the bathwater out, what's the alternatives look like and does it really give us what, we, what we've got now? Um, and whilst it may not be perfect in every way, it meets an awful lot of our requirements pretty solidly. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, I just want to get back and do a little more building and a little more flying. That'd be nice. 
Well, okay. Speaking of that, you've been sending me photos. Yeah, of I've, I've, thrown, I've thrown your script right out the window. There no, you, you haven't. See. You brought it back on track because we were getting sidetracked in a big love fest, the MAAA love fest. What no, uh, no, what have you got on the on the table that you're building at the moment? Um, I'm doing a knocking up a quick Anderson Kingfisher for uh, for uh, a friend, David Kennedy. So that, that I covered that this afternoon. That was the sanding and sanding and doping and covering. That's all done. Finished off the hyperbite. That's flying well. Um, I've got as I look up in the roof. I've got an L4 cub, one of the Paolo Severin ones that's now ready for covering the fuselage. I've got what else have we got to read? I got a. I've got one of the new Dracos sitting here waiting for COVID to end so I can go fly it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Yep, it's sitting here waiting. Um, I have a, a, a quarter-scale Fiesler Storch up in the roof as well. Um, that'll be, uh, that's all stainless steel, really light really? and really strong. Yeah. yeah, the fuse is eight foot long and weighs less than a kilogram. Oh, gee. And what is it? Yeah. Stainless steel. Fiesler Storch. Yeah. Stainless but... steel tube. Oh, okay. Done by Paolo Severin. Mm. And if you have a look, they're worth they and I've also got one of their big tiger moths here as well to have a go at next. Oh really? Yeah, that's that'll be spectacular. What else is there skulking around? There's a P forty to build up there. There's a couple of Wacos. Yeah, there's 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 a Sunderland 14-foot Catalina to finish, 10-foot Catalina to finish. Mm. Um, there's a half-scale space walker above me with a triple two in the front to finish. Um, so, yeah, a couple of bits and pieces half-scale. on the bench. How do you get a half-scale plane to the to the field? Well, so it's a space walker. It's not that big. Oh, well, I suppose it is. The wing cord's two and a half feet, six inches thick. Or five and a half inches thick. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll fit in the trailer. Might be able to take anything else out, but it'll fit in the trailer. Uh, third scale cub. So, so you enjoy third building? Wilga. Yeah, yeah. I like building scale. If it's scale, I like it. Um, and I like scratch building. You scratch. So, so, a lot of these models, are they scratch or are you buying short kits or what? No, scratch. Uh, the Hyperbite. Is totally scratched. We got a set of plans and they weren't big enough, so we scaled them up. Um, it's all stick structure, but had to chase you know, carbon fiber landing gear, no cowl, so I made a mold for the cowl. Couldn't get windscreens, so I made molds for those and got um, Russell Mitchell up at uh, in Queensland to draw the cowls, the windscreens for me and the windows. That all worked a treat. Um, yeah. I do fiberglass, woodwork, you know, pick, pick a medium, I can work in most of them. Well, see, so you're not going to get bored during a lockdown period? Oh, well, I've got MAAA keeping me out of mischief. That that that, that slows my style down a bit <laughs> and the time. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of where we're up to. What's, uh, what's the bucket list model? Tiger Moth. It's one to two point eight scale stainless steel. Um, my parents owned one, and I flew with my mum and my dad, 
and I can remember landing on the beaches at Coffs Harbour. We'd take off from the Aero Club and land on the beach, go for a swim, and then fly back. That's good memories. You've got to do one the same livery as well. So, yeah, it was a very boring livery, though. It was just silver with some black lettering on it. So, and, and it still exists, Romeo, uh, Romeo India November. Um, it's now based up in Queensland, I believe. It's probably been refurbished and recovered a number of times, but it's still on the register. Yeah. A friend of mine's got a, um, my friend Dominic, head of the uh, Flat Out RC Peanut Gallery, he has a beautiful Tiger Moth. I think it was a scratch build. With It's even got the, the tank on the top there. You know, yep. And, um, but, um, and he's that's just been sort of refurbished and ready to fly, but we haven't had the chance because of the uh, back-to-back lockdowns down here in Victoria. No, well, you guys are getting hammered, and I'm I'm worried. I I think we're in for some interesting times, and uh, it's interesting to hear the politicians talking of uh, we're we're going to have to learn to live with with more than you won't get back to zero. No. Is, is 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 where they're heading? I don't think we will. You know, we are going to have to learn to live with it, get vaccinated, and that might help the situation. But uh, it's the best that we can do. It's all you can do. Where are you normally flying? Like, what's your local club? I uh, fly out at uh, Hawkesbury, which is out south uh, western Sydney, and I also fly the seaplanes out at the Sydney International Gatta Centre. Um, so we have a little club called Rise Off Water, which we fly from out there. Um, the lovely fresh water works just fine. I'm not a great fan of flying seaplanes off salt water. Too hard. No, I agree. The, uh, we're, we're sort of here in Melbourne. We don't have a great float flying sort of scene. Uh, there's an event that happens down at Lake Bolac normally every Queen's birthday weekend down here where um, the Ararat Club sort of hosts a bit of a get-together but uh, hasn't been on due to lockdowns, et cetera. But, uh, but yeah, the uh, everybody that I know that has ever got into that seaplane, float plane kind of flying just gets addicted to it. And oh, yeah. They come away from, from going for a fly off the water and thinking about the next model and, oh, I've got to get some floats for this and I'm going to put that on floats. You know, my mate Dominic, the peanut gallery president, he, he, he's he gone through float flying phases where it's like everything is, oh, I wonder if I can put this on floats. And it all stems yep. from one weekend a year going out and flying off the water. But um, Well, I've been a regular yeah. visitor down to Albury. Yes. The Twin Cities Club. Yep, yep. And flying off Hume Weir for years and years and years. Yeah. Of course, between drought and COVID, that's wreaked havoc for the last true. three or four years. That is true. Um, and I've been tic tacking with uh, Phil Moore from the Bragg Club. And I'm going to probably go down there, went after I've had my vaccinations, which is been my second one tomorrow. So we'll go down and get that done. Yeah. And hopefully. Uh, we'll be able to get across the border at some time in the future and go down and have a fly. That's a good idea. Like I was going to say to my local club, they should build it. My club has a, a flooding problem that, you know, every few years after a torrential downpour, the field floods. And maybe we need to put that water to good use and build a nice big dam. It wouldn't have to be that deep, would it, for to do a bit of float flying off? No. No, you don't need the depth. But the depth helps reduce evaporation. That's true. So if you've got it shallow... Um, more prone to evaporation quickly. The the depth of water keeps the uh, keeps the, the temperature a bit colder. Yeah. It, it's it's scary for anyone that's been up to Sydney and uh, out or saw the Sydney Olympics 
that international regatta center at Penrith. So yeah, you've got yeah, the competition right. lake, yeah. and there's a warm-up lake beside it. Yeah. On a hot summer's day, they will lose five to ten millimeters of water really? due to evaporation. Is that just because it's a bit shallow? No, no it's not that shallow. It's four to five metres deep. Mm. That's just how much water can be taken up in evaporation on a hot day. Gee. Didn't know it was that much. No, I didn't either. I was surprised. And they said, no, that's, that's why they've got fairly continual inflows going and all that sort of stuff. So, yes, yeah. it's huge. Well, look, to wrap this up, there's a question that I ask everybody. It's my signature move. And no doubt it's the question everybody can't wait to hear the answer. And that is, what has been your all-time favourite model? Now, I'm going to warn you now, don't give me three or four different options. I want the number one most important favourite plane that you've owned. I've still got it. It could be my first, but no, probably... I don't fly it often enough. I have in the roof a de Havilland Beaver on floats. Now, it was a handmade model that I bought back from Canada. Uh, and it's 126 inch. Okay. And it's it, it has a certain amount of presence about it, yes. What's the motor in that? It's got a 3W52 in it. Twin, um, built by a very well-known modeler on the west coast of Canada. It was one of the last models he built. Um, so that has a and, – and my wife insists that it's her plane. So <laughs> that's her beaver. Yeah. So you know, let people play with that as they want to. Great. And twist. But that's, <laughs> uh, but that's probably – and it, it's – I don't fly it often enough and I need to get it out more. But it, it has – real presence and a whole lot of sentimental value. Um, just the history and the story of how we got it back to Australia. You know, three people bought it back in oversized luggage. Everyone, you know, one had the floats, one had the fuselage, another had the wings. Um, and we managed to get it back through the country and all the rest, um, uh, which was good fun. And flying it in, and I test flew it in Canada. Oh, really? So flew it for the week and then stripped it down on the Sunday afternoon, packed it and wrapped it in blue foam and glad wrap and then put it on the aeroplane and we all bought it home in bits and pieces during the week as, as we flew out of Canada to come back home. It's, it's such a recurring theme. I've mentioned this before, that it's not often, it's not always, you know, the greatest plane that's in the, in the, in the shed. It's the one that has the story attached to it that meant something and the memories mm-hmm. That you know, like I always say, Ron, all we're doing is creating memories. That's all we're doing. Oh, and the more that we can, we can, we can create, the more fun we end up having. And that's the great thing about aero modeling. You know, I was, it's for me, aero modeling is not just about getting the flying field and having a fly. It's the friendships, the banter that you know. Whilst I'm sitting here, you know, I've mentioned him twice already. I'll give him another plug. Dominic, the head of the peanut gallery, tried to ring me. Now, why would he be ringing me at nine o'clock on a Tuesday evening? Well, I've, that, I've I've turned Hobson down twice. So, yep. Yeah, this is this is what happens. This is our this is our network. And I'll get off this podcast and I'll open up Facebook and see what's been happening and see model aeroplanes and all the other connections that I've got to see what's going on here internationally and that kind of thing. Like, imagine if 
you know, I was talking to someone today actually, uh, and and a guy that I've known for a long time back since school days, and he sounded really, really bored. Like there was something missing in his life that he needed something else to just keep him occupied. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, aren't I lucky that I've got a hobby? Well, I've got multiple hobbies. That's probably- a hobby or an obsession. I don't choose your words carefully. Well, I, I look no, <laughs> I, I don't call it an obsession. I do call it. It's a very strong interest, but it's something that keeps me occupied. Mentally keeps me occupied, even not always physically, but mentally. And coming into COVID lockdown periods. I sit there and I plan the next weekend. What am I going to do? Well, there's that ARF that I need to finish. This weekend, I know that I've got to wire up the uh, the harness for the 12S setup. I've got to – I want to fiberglass <laughs> the wheel pants to make them a bit stronger because they break easily. You've I've got, got bad. I've got something to do on the weekend where my mate's going to sit there and think, what am I going to do this week and turn the television on? And I'm thinking, how lucky am I? I get to go and try to stick fiberglass in my hands or something. Get my Absolutely. fingers stuck together with CA. Haven't lived till you've done that. No. Well, Tim, look, it's been a pleasure to sit down and have this this long chat. This is the longest chat we've ever had. Uh, and oh, good. All the best. Good luck with your your presidency. It's a really you know. It does sound like we're having a bit of a love fest. I've I've been on committees and I know how hard it is. So I know the realities of behind the scenes, and I'll always defend that whether it's the local flying club or whatever, that 99.9% of the people that get involved to help out are doing it for genuine reasons. There's not, it's not a money spinner. It's not for ego. It's just, you know, just put the hand up and help out and good old Aussie spirit. So big thank you. I would encourage though anyone, before you complain, have you volunteered or offered to help? And, and, and what are we doing to make it better than when we arrived? Isn't that the whole purpose why do we raise children we want them to have a better life than we did or a different life isn't that paying it forward so why is it unreasonable to expect us to say why shouldn't we pay it forward for the hobby yeah and look and you know what i think though as well you wouldn't put your hand up if you didn't enjoy doing it at some level you know, look, whether there is a lot of pain and heartache that goes through it, but you keep on enduring it because you've probably got a bigger vision in mind, right? That you enjoy the process of being the MAAA president or the, the process of being the president of your local flying club, that there is some sort of satisfaction, personal satisfaction to be gained from helping out, but you're also helping a bigger cause um, to achieve something and, and give people the opportunity to continue to enjoy enjoy the hobby. Well, I... I, I... And in finishing it up, I guess the other part of it is everyone does it for that look on on another person's face that they've they've just had a great flight or they've been successful doing whatever. Um, you know that that buzz that you get from a successful maiden flight or wow, I just nailed those three rolls or that flight looks so real, and we're chasing that and a couple of times you now when I go up the field and you watch people flying and, and you you watch them carry their pride and joy down to the either the water or the the grass runway and you watch them fly and they might be a bit shaky and they'll bounce the landing or they'll nail it 
but the reason we all do it is they walk back with a smile that goes from ear to ear and they are just on cloud nine and you go, that's why we're doing it because of that very look and, and the feeling that, <coughs> pardon me, that they've got at that moment in time. Do you know what's funny? In the last 12 months, the most enjoyable experience or one of the best things I've ever seen and sort of was there to witness was a guy with a diesel-powered RC plane. Yep. He he knew this thing was grossly underpowered, right? Yeah. And so he him and his mate carried his plane to the strip to see if they could – then they had a smile on their face. They are already laughing before they put the plane on the ground to give it an attempt. And so – he guns the motor and it goes off and it didn't get off the ground. Ran out of runway, right? <laughs> Motor's still kind of running. Mate goes and grabs and goes, okay, let's go further back. And they they, they move further back at the runway. Give it another go. And we're all sitting there like now the tension's growing. Is this thing going to get off the ground? And it didn't get off the ground again. Grab the plane, go further back again. And it literally took to the air with about three metres left on the runway. And the whole, everybody was there was like, yes, we got it. It's up in the air. We're all wheeling this thing up into the air. And he had, he had to fly it around at sort of a full throttle to to keep it going. And he had a smile on his face for the entire flight. I've got some, there were some videos and some photographs that I think I took of it trying to get off the ground. I put it up on, on, the, on the Flat Out RC Facebook page. And it was just, it was just the best thing to see and you know what i wasn't actively involved in any of it except for being a bystander with my phone filming it because i thought this is great you've got to share this experience and there that's that's what i'd love to see more of at the flying club some of that just it's what it's just, about yeah it, crazy it's kind about, of stuff it's it's that is that is the essence that's the only reason we're all doing it that's it there is nothing more it's that simple just trying to make that feeling repeatable. It's that feeling, absolutely. It's that feeling, isn't it? That's that's what I'm missing during COVID lockdowns. Is that that buzz? I need that. I need that rush. And if you cage me up, I can't get that rush. So, well, the simulator, computer simulator, will give you an awful lot, but it it doesn't give you that last little bit where you you you're holding it off. You've got your angle right. Am I going to nail this as a three-pointer or is it going to bounce? We're going to just and, – and then when you nail it or you miss it, doesn't matter, uh, provided you can pick it up and reuse the aeroplane again, that's a good day. And, and go and experiment again. Every flight's different. That's true, especially when I'm flying. You never know what you're going to get. Life's a lottery. <laughs> well, Tim, it's been a pleasure. Thanks once again for Absolutely. joining Absolutely, and, and we'll catch up and do it again soon where we might talk about building techniques and we might turn the tables on you. Good idea. Well, I might hold you to that. You've given, you sparked a whole bunch of new topics to have you back on, so uh, I will probably guarantee that we will have you back on. I want to know a bit more about that scratch building and stuff as well because you probably learned a lot. So uh, stay tuned, Tim Nolan. It's about having some fun. That's true. President of the MAAA, look at that title. Anyway, all the best with it and uh, uh, good luck with it. And uh, we know you'll uh, give it your best effort to, uh, to, to foster our hobby in the right direction. Absolutely, Andrew. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. 
Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you for joining me once again. Big thank you to Tim Nolan. It was really good to to catch up and uh, we'll try to have him on a bit more regularly to see what's been going on at MAAA and any, anything that we need to be aware of. So I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye on uh, what's happening and see if we get him back down the, back down the track. Uh, so, yep, yeah, uh, thank you for enjoying. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this podcast. As you can tell, I'm not thinking clearly. Uh, this lockdown's getting to me. Uh, can you feel the frustration? And, and if you listen to this and you're in lockdown, you can you can feel the frustration. I, mean, I hope you're in your shed doing some building and you listen to this podcast and it's keeping you uh, keeping you entertained. And uh, look, thank you to all those that have been sending me messages saying they enjoy the podcast. Uh, I, I really enjoy hearing that because um, if you're not, please tell me as well and I'll see if I can fix it. I, I have had some criticism. Some people, you know, sent me messages and, and that's okay. I, I want the feedback and... Uh, I have tried to improve a few things as a result of people's feedback. If you've got any guest ideas, send them through. A big thank you to everybody that shouted out to me. Last week I asked um, for some soldering tips because I hate soldering. And uh, I did get some tips and I have purchased a new soldering iron literally today. My new soldering iron is coming. Um, that I was given a good tip. Uh, from Dale Gray, you're a legend. He put me on to a... a Hako, Hako FX88D digital soldering station. Uh, he said they're the ducks guts, uh, good for our, our hobby, and it's helped him. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and splash out and buy a good soldering iron. So Dale, you're a legend. Really appreciate the advice. And anybody else that gives me advice, I I don't know everything. I'll tell you that I do, but I don't. And so if you've got any tips for me, just send them through. Get onto the Flat Out RC website. Fill out the contact form, jump on Facebook, send me a, a messenger chat or whatever, whatever way you want to get in contact with me, you'll find me. Uh, but yeah, hope you've been enjoying this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, the Instagram, the flat, the Facebook, the YouTube, whatever is your poison, get on board with the Flat Out RC movement and tell your friends something to listen to. So we'll be back next week. Another good guest already in the bag, the interview. So I know who it's going to be, but you'll have to stay tuned until next week. Talk to you then.